Hello, everybody. I'm John. Welcome to a podcast about Loveline, where we dig through the wreckage of Adam Carolla's 30s and my teen years and Jeremy's what? I don't know. 20s. Yeah. 20s. Was, yeah. Yeah. I would have been, uh, yeah, university. Yeah. So, so yeah, late teens, early 20s. Yeah, that's good. So it sort of overlaps nicely with me because for me, it was junior high school, high school, and then the show kind of ended when I was in university. Oh, okay. So there's a like you probably it's a little a little bit older than than me during like the run of it, but mm-hmm. uh, I think I think there's a nice overlap there, and there'll be a good there'll be some good perspectives I think on like advice that was given and things like that. Yes. So yes. so first, I guess I'll try to get uh, your background on Loveline. So are you, are you like a Loveline super fan or? <laughs> well, I I. Always, anytime I had an opportunity to watch it or, you know, listen to it or, okay, or watch it. Okay, so watch it. it. Yes. So that's a big clue, right? <laughs> yes, because, right. Yeah. Because yes. that means you're talking, like, it was on MTV for a while. Yes, so. yes. Right. So, um, yeah, the funny thing about Loveline is most of its run, I was in Los Angeles and I didn't listen to it very often in Los Angeles because it was on K-Rock. It was on the station, mm-hmm, yeah, probably yeah. one of my presets on the car radio all the time. I didn't hear much in... Los Angeles, but every time we went back for the holidays, it syndicated, you know, oh, yeah, all over yeah. the Midwest. So I would always be listening to yeah, it all over dr- the United States and like on a day delay east of the Mississippi. Right. And so like I had it on a day delay listening out of a Chicago station, Q101 when I was a kid. And yes. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like every time we're driving between relatives' houses late at night or whatever, it's always on. So that was the time I think I listened to it the most, which, which was odd because, uh, it, it, I think it is an odd thing. It's like one of those weird things where a lot of, like shows and content were like weekly, like even like even the I think the MTV show was nightly, but it was only like in a half hour time slot. So mm-hmm. like 20 minutes after commercials and Loveline was this thing that was nationwide. And then it was it was two hours, 90 minutes after commercials every single night, you know, Monday through Thursday, at least. Mm-hmm. And then also Sunday, depending on where you were in the right. in the thing. And so like there was just so much of it to yes. listen to. It was yeah. like always on. Mm hmm. And especially like when you were going to bed, for instance, like it's just like you could put on the radio and there would be a thing that you could listen to. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. And I was really surprised going back through the the listing of the shows, how many amazing guests they had. Yeah. So there were always people promoting something. That was one of the things like, I have, I have my, my notes here about the episode that we listened to, which we'll talk about in a bit. But the show was like, yeah, it was like a little bit like it was nominally about sort of um, relationships and sort of a little bit about mental health and like mm-hmm. teenager issues and stuff and like relationship stuff. But then it was also just like this sort of inside the pop culture zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And so you had like guests like Jeremy Piven and you have like all these bands that come in yeah, and yeah. you've got all these people that like float through. Mm. And I think like that's part of the reason why I think it deserves a show like this mm-hmm. is because like, for as much as we think, or at least I think, Adam and Drew are shitheads. Spoiler: <laughs> If you l- really like Adam and Drew, maybe you won't like this podcast. <laughs> but it's because it, it managed to like touch a bunch of people mm-hmm. that uh, and and be relevant in an, in an area that is not directly connected to what like Adam and Drew are doing now. Mm. Like the show was much larger than them, mm-hmm. and it grew like to to have a like a fan base and an impact that just. Um, has nothing to do with them. Mm. And it's part of what I want to explore like in, in this podcast. Yeah, and I think the fact that it was uh, recorded in Los Angeles, it was based on at an L.A. rock station. Yeah, yeah, yeah like an established made- station. Mm-hmm. And and they had like relationships with other radio stations like through the – like through um, syndication. 
And so like Adam and Drew, yeah, they got to they got to go and like get access to guests and stuff. And so they're like people in a very candid way, like like you would see these people on MTV, but it was always like really short snippets on like TRL yeah. or other very controlled settings. Mm-hmm. And this was like they're in the studio for 90 minutes. Yeah. And they're having calls about like teenager issues or like relationship issues and it's like that's not something you would ever hear like and you i think after the show went away like you don't see a lot of that from celebrities now right the publicist would not allow that now i don't think Mm -hmm. no that's true because they responded they want to contribute to the call or contribute to the advice so the guests were often yeah chiming in with things that they would never be approved to say in this day and age yeah yeah (laughs) and so like I, i would like to give you kind of a a rough quiz. Mm-hmm. This is a thing I would like to sort of formalize over time so that we could, oh, no. so that uh, people who listen to the podcast can get like a sense mm. of what level of Loveline fan I'm talking to. Mm. And so I'm just, I'm going to say a few words okay. and you're going to tell me if you understand them and what they mean to you. Okay. It's kind of like audio free association. Okay. Gotcha. I'm going to say goat based. <laughs> goat based. Meaningless? Mm, yeah, it's not. Okay, yeah. right. Okay. If I say 512, almost six foot. <laughs> uh, is that Adam's height? No, yeah, okay. no. I can't explain these things. Okay, right, right, right. If I explain them, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. giant spoiler. Okay, so I'll, sure, sure. I'll explain them after at yes. the end. But um, if I say mason jar. <laughs> uh, yeah. Drink glass is all i'm thinking of. wow yeah. that's see see that's a that's a post like 2005 thing <laughs> yes that that is a thing that existed after the show ended and you're gonna be you're gonna be uh horrified oh when i tell you that your decision to equate drinking out of a mason jar to the phrase mason jar <laughs> uh it's gonna be problematic okay like so many things that we talk about today mm. um so maybe i have one more okay um if i say Asshole the size of? <laughs> um, nothing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. So I'll, I'll explain what the, what those, what those okay. things meant. So, okay. um, so the first one was goat based. Mm-hmm. So uh, that comes from a rant that Adam Carolla had done a few times where he's talking about horchata or he's talking about like <laughs> ethnic sort of cream or milk based drinks uh-huh. at different eateries in la Mm. and he's like he has friends that tell him like hey drink this it's good and and then he drinks it and he's like oh it's good what is it and they say like oh it's goat based you like it you like it it's goat based and then he's like sort of like like i can't i can't drink this this is horrifying and so um and that seems really like obscure Mm -hmm. but like in the loveline community like there was a place that you could like talk about love line called goatbased.com for a while. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> and then I think the, what, what was the second one I asked about? Do you remember? Uh was it the uh 511 Yeah, yeah, 512 six foot. Yeah, almost six foot. Yeah. Famous. Yes. Just a famous example <laughs> where um, Adam was asking a caller, how tall is your boyfriend? Uh-huh. And she says, I don't know, 5'12", almost six foot. 
And it just became this like running joke, like this Adam would use it like as an example of a caller who's like oblivious mm-hmm. of like just somebody who's just like so out of it <laughs> that they just don't know what they're talking about. Right, right. And so it'd become this thing where it's like, yeah, I'm 5'12", almost six foot, you know. <laughs> and so that became like a kind of a catchphrase. And then I asked it. Then number three and four, actually, unknowingly to you, but probably mm-hmm. knowingly to a lot of the listeners here, mm-hmm. it, are connected. Ah. So the code for a bogus call, kind of like you know, like Baba Booey on like mm-hmm. at, like Howard Stern, right. for a long time was, and she had the asshole the size of a mason jar. <laughs> ah, and so it'd be like they tried like the the prank callers would mm-hmm. try to get them like hooked into like a story for a while, right. and they'd always like pull the rug out from under them. At some point, be like, and she had an asshole the oh. size of a mason jar. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, that's funny. I, I guess I was a sporadic listener. It was just like, yeah, I didn't listen faithfully, but it was anytime I found it. Yeah, I would be. Yeah, listening. I think I think that's okay too. And mm-hmm. I don't like. You're actually the kind of person who I want to talk to more mm. because, <laughs> like, there's a lot of Loveline fans who feel like they know a lot about Loveline. And there are like comic book nerds or something right. like they feel very protective of it. And they uh. know like there's like all the lore and like the extended <laughs> universe and everything. Right. And and so like the, the actual conversations I actually want to have are like, you know, did this show help you through a tough time? Mm-hmm. Like that kind of thing. Nice. So you have to let me know if anything I say is not is non-canon <laughs> in the love line universe. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess I should explain a little bit about what the show is. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about about you, but um, what I imagine the show to be, like I said at the beginning, is like we dig through the the wreckage of Loveline, and there's all these sorts of like little hints of what would happen later. Like Adam Carolla now is like a right wing podcaster and like friendly with like Glenn Beck and Dennis Prager, and he's got his own like podcast network who he's helped. From his co-producer like that's a story whoa yeah and then like um dr drew just like he became like dr oz or something mm. and he always like would talk shit about like dr oz and dr phil and then suddenly he just became them right and now that's all people know him as is another fake doctor mm-hmm. and at the time we felt like he was more of a real doctor because you know yeah. he was an md or whatever and he worked on addiction medicine and now we know he's actually more of a fake doctor. <laughs> right. But like, you know, I'm I'm not going to like, I would say allegedly a fake doctor. Mm. You know, I'm sure that he went to medical school. Mm. But it's like in terms of the quality of advice that he was giving and then also some of his con- so some of his alleged conflicts of interest, ah. I feel are sort of important to highlight. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's sort of like going back through these old Loveline episodes and saying like, we should have known, maybe. <laughs> and probably other people did know at the time. Yeah. yeah. But we were just like, ah, this is funny or whatever. And so we're just going to like, you know, this is like the most real thing on the radio right now. Mm-hmm. So it's better than everything else. Right. And so we're just going to ignore the fact that Dr. Drew is like a, a rabid Reagan Republican. Like, <laughs> Right. How tall are you? I'm like... 512 almost 6 Did you listen to any of Adam Carolla's follow-up stuff after Loveline so he went and did uh, a morning show in Los Angeles so when Howard yes. Stern like right. got off terrestrial radio mm-hmm. like David Lee Roth was replacing yeah. people like East of the Mississippi right. and then Adam Carolla was like Los Angeles market 
And and so he did. He had the Adam Carolla show, like the morning radio mm-hmm. show, for a while. Did you listen to any of that? I did a little bit, um, but I, I actually followed Stern onto satellite. Oh wow! <laughs> so yeah, I didn't. I didn't have to. Like it wasn't. A, it wasn't a necessity. But I, I did run across him. My ex was a big Adam Carolla fan. She just liked his personality. So anytime he was on the radio, she would leave it. Yeah, you know, she would, or she would put it on, and. Uh, and then I knew him also from, you know, the man show. Yeah, the man show. Yeah. Right. That was yeah, big deal. Right. So then, uh, yeah, I was familiar with him in that way. Yeah. And I think the, the episode you chose was at an interesting point. The, the, like 2004 is a really yeah. interesting point in his career because it's end of man show. And then yeah. right before that payday of replacing Howard Stern. Or, yeah. You know. It was like, I think in 2006, probably maybe. Yeah. I think probably 2006. Mm-hmm. He went and replaced Howard Stern on the West Coast and, 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 Right before the time where he was trying to get that gig. Mm. And, uh, and he talked about it a bit later on the show of like, he was trying to get like engineer Chris and engineer Anderson to like go back through the backlogs to put together like best ofs to ship to producers right. to like sign him to, for the morning show gig. And it's like Westwood One wouldn't help him at all. Wow. That's, a bit, yeah, that's very surprising. Um, but, Definitely, I, I would say of the two uh, morning show replacements for Stern, uh, David Lee Roth was much more of a beautiful train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the sort of, I think that's a kind of a, a sort of beautiful thing about, I think, the extended universe of Adam Carolla. Mm-hmm. And I would like to talk about it a little bit more in the future, maybe, but like Adam Carolla's show was also a crazy train wreck in mm-hmm. a lot of weird ways. Mm-hmm. Like the first year they had this insane segment where. They just did a bunch of like ching chong noises for the like, and they said it was like, we got tape from the Asian American Awards. Wow. And it was like, <laughs> and then they had this guy, Guy Oki, in mm-hmm. who was like representing a group that was representing like Asian Americans or something. And, but he's also kind of problematic too, like himself, because he's trying to represent like all of mm-hmm. like Asian Americans. Right. And so it was just like they fought for a while. <laughs> Then, like, the second year, the very beginning, they, like, fired a bunch of people and brought in Danny Bonaducci as a co-host. Oh, wow. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they fired him unceremoniously <laughs> because the station changed formats to – it was – it's the most sort of, like, poetic thing, but they changed to ranchero music. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I read that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And so – uh, he, he did. He started doing a podcast, mm-hmm. and then like he hit it big in the podcasting game. Yeah, really. Do you think it was timing, or just like his popularity, like his name recognition and things that made his podcast uh, do so well, or just he had like connections? I I think that the morning show spot, for as much as it paid a lot of money for him, mm-hmm. was not good for him because it wasn't national. Oh, right. Right. And like previously, if you looked at it, Loveline was a na- like you, you brought it up like nas- like Loveline was a nationally syndicated thing, mm-hmm. and it was like ninety minutes Sunday through Thursday, mm-hmm. and then he was on MTV for a long time, right. like huge platform. Yeah, and then he sort of tosses that away to go do this morning show thing, which is a lot of money. I think probably like he was also writing for Kimmel at that point, mm-hmm. but I, I'm pretty sure that. He he made probably half a million dollars a year replacing Stern on the West Coast. Oh yeah, and but it wasn't it wasn't national, mm-hmm. and so it just didn't penetrate the way that it could have. Like I think, like you're not going to do a national morning show just because of like hey time zones. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, 
it's I think it was like a it made sense to him financially, but it actually didn't make sense like career wise. Mm. I think it was probably a career misstep. Like he probably should have tried to like, he did try to go into television. Like he tried to do the American Top Gear. Oh yeah, that's for right. a while, mm-hmm. and like he he ended up not being chosen for like as a host of American Top Gear. Um, for as much as he shares, you know, in common mm-hmm. with you know the cast of British Top Gear in terms of being a racist. <laughs> uh, he ended up not working out for the American Top Gear, <laughs> and so, so it's just like he couldn't quite hack it in TV, mm-hmm. even though he did have some TV shows. Um, and so, like, in, in yeah, so he did very well financially during that period. But I think it was kind of a lull for his popularity. Mm. And then when he went back to podcasting, it was like, hey, remember that guy from Loveline? Yeah, there's like pent up demand for Adam Carolla when he started his podcast. Yeah, and it just kind mm-hmm. of exploded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was a, like that first year, two thousand and nine, was a huge. He was like podcast of the year, like yeah, awarded by Apple yeah, he, and everything. Like, he yeah. was up there with like Ricky Gervais and mm-hmm. all that, like mm-hmm. very quickly. Yeah. Uh, the world is your oyster. I mean, because that's all the world is. We were going to talk about the episode that we listened to, but mm-hmm. is there anything else that you wanted to bring up? Any thoughts you had about Loveline or Adam Carolla, Dr. Drew? Oh yeah, what is your um, what are your thoughts about the original? Uh, co-host to uh, Dr. Drew, so Ricky Rackman. Ricky Rackman. <laughs> yes. So that is before my time. Ah, okay. A little bit. <laughs> uh, so I started listening to Loveline in 96. Mm-hmm. I was 11. Mm. And it was this thing that my older sister would listen to, and she would like watch it on MTV. And for me, it was like very like prurient. It was like, mm-hmm. they're talking about sex. <laughs> right, right. And oh my God, I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to learn about sex. They're going <laughs> to get to say all these things. Right. But also like... I'm kind of a, an, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a millennial, but I'm an older millennial. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I also had access to the internet. Mm. So I had lots of information about sex, <laughs> you know, like, right. and so there's, but there's a weird thing where it's like, it was like, they had a lot of content like every night mm-hmm. and I would go to bed listening to it and I would wake up in the morning and listen to right wing talk radio because <laughs> in Chicago right. they, they were on Q101 mm-hmm. and then Man Cow mm. did mornings on Q101. Right in Chicago, and so I would, I would fall asleep to Loveline and wake up to Mancow. This and explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it explains a lot about why I'm a socialist now. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and so, so my history is sort of like it's very formative, mm-hmm. and uh, and one of the like one of the episodes later that made me realize a lot of stuff about gender was they had this this episode. I think with a journalist named Ken Baker mm-hmm. who had a prolactin sec- secreting tumor. Mm. And so like a, pertu- a tumor that was basically like secreting female hormones. Mm. And so he wasn't r- secreting male hormones properly. And he just like felt all sorts of crazy stuff. And then he went to the doctor when he was like in his teens, mm-hmm. like in high school. And they told him like, yeah, you got this tumor. We're going to take it out. And then after that, he was like, oh, wait, now I feel like properly like myself. Wow. And then for me, that was like, oh my God, there has to be something medically wrong with me <laughs> because I've never felt right wow. about myself. Uh-huh. And I did not find out that I have a prolactin secreting tumor, <laughs> but I did find out that I was trans. Wow. And so like I've, I've not transitioned and I still present as a man, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I can credit Loveline with sort of awakening me to the idea about the fact that gender is not, I mean, gender is problematic as a concept right? Right. and that we shouldn't all sort of board the train mm. that we're put on when we're born. Mm-hmm. And so like for me, yeah, it's a very kind of personal thing. And for as much as Loveline is like 
there's a lot of racism and problematic things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also think there's a lot of stories like mine where you makes you think about things in a certain way or especially like mental health stuff back during that time, a lot of stigma, Mm -hmm. but they were very big on like, Hey, you got to go get therapy and Hey, you should get on the antidepressants because Dr. Drew was being paid by the antidepressant (laughs) companies. But, um, but anyway, there's, there's less of a stigma on love line. Mm -hmm. And so it was, uh, it felt more honest. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, like that's my history with love line is yeah. Like, I listened to it from like time I was 11 to yeah the Adam Carolla morning show. I would like pirate copies of it. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to the, you know, his podcast for a long time until back when Dr. Drew was still doing Love Line, I think with Stryker mm-hmm. replacing Adam, mm-hmm. like the, there's a podcast like the Adam and Drew show or something. Mm-hmm. And there's an episode where Dr. Drew and Adam were both like ranting about how we can't have universal health care. It's oh. not right. Rich people deserve better things, and it's not right. Wow. Because it's like, if you have more money, you get the filet mignon. So you should, you know. Mm. Uh, and I was at that point, I was just like, okay, we're done here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I stopped listening. Right. But that was after I moved to Japan. So that's probably 2012. So I listened from 96 to 2012. Wow. Yeah. And so it's, it forms a huge part of my life and personality. Mm-hmm. But not in the way I think that – not in the same way that it is for a lot of people. Mm. And so, like, that's – yeah, that's my history with it, which Excellent. I guess, yeah, was part of your question. Yeah, but. yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I was curious because uh, I remember hearing those early episodes and there's just, like, nothing there because, uh, you know, Rackman was just, like, a, a rock DJ, you know? And, oh, yeah. yeah. Adam, Adam created that show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I think that really – that just worked. And I think the, the those two personalities against each other, yeah, made that dynamic interesting, made, yeah, made it interesting. And, and how they handled the calls and everything kind of between the, the straight man <laughs> and the funny man. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we'll talk about a little bit more with that with this episode because mm-hmm. there's some good examples of that. But I think that you're right that there's a lot of, you know, when Obama had like the anger translator bits on, you know, and it was like, oh, Obama can't be seen as an angry black man. So we're going to get like a comedian to be like the anger translator for Obama who's going to mm. be the angry black man to scream at people. I feel like in a lot of ways, Adam Carolla was Dr. Drew's sort of id. Yeah. And, and you can kind of tell when Dr. Drew goes silent, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like, oh, it's because he's uncomfortable. And I think that's like, no, that's consent. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, like there's, there's previous hosts, like, you know, poor man, Ricky Rackman. Mm-hmm. And there were other like co-hosts on the MTV show. Mm, yeah. But I think, yeah, the, I think the pairing is very important. And part of why, like, I would even want to do this podcast mm-hmm. is because there was some kind of magic there. Yeah. And I would like to dissect what that magic is. And then also, like, we're going to, like, probably shit on it in some ways for not being woke enough, but it's not quite what this is about. Mm. It's it's a lot more about trying to find out, like, how two Reagan Republicans in the 90s could have done as much good as they managed to do, even while being, like, overtly racist. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. In spite of themselves. <laughs> So, yeah, I think like speaking of the racism, we should probably get into this episode. Mm -hmm. And so I'll set it up here, which is like the first one we listen to. And I'll I'll go into the reasons why why we listen to this one first. But so this is Oza Motley from 2004. And the reason that we're listening to it is because it was always in the list of Loveline episodes. And I always 
never really knew what the band name Ozomatle meant. Mm. And I still don't, <laughs> but right. it was just one of those like weird brainworm kind of things <laughs> where it's like, I knew this was an episode that existed ah. and it was just very random. And mm-hmm. I was like, I thought like, oh, we'll just do one that I don't really care about because if we do like, if we do the nine eleven episodes or we do, you know, the first Mason jar call or we do <laughs> like, there's some like really classic episodes, like the one where Pan Pan was there selling knives <laughs> or the one where. Dr. Drew refused to donate to charity. Oh, well. <laughs> like there's a lot of really good episodes and this is not one of them. Mm-hmm. But I was extremely surprised actually by like how much sort of a harbinger of mm-hmm. things to come for yeah. both Adam and Drew. Right. And so what are, what are your thoughts on the episode? Yeah, I thought it was the the interaction Adam kept going back to the the great uh the the uh, what did he call them the uh the latin brothers yeah, latin brothers, yeah. <laughs> that he had worked with in construction and he had like fallen into that same trap that so many i think radio personalities and probably now podcasters do if they have some success the only interesting stories they have in their life because their life has become very boring is back yeah. when they were working class back when they were doing construction and uh that's where they farm all of the actually interesting parts of their life from yeah i noticed that there's like a lot of like it's a it's like transitional kind of because he was going from uh sort of not upper class but a white person mm-hmm. to a rich white person. He's mm-hmm. like transitioning from one of these worlds to the other world. And right. he, he like he, he calls it out at one point where he talks about like how he used to be in construction and he used to work with a lot of like Latin brothers or yeah, whatever. Right. <laughs> and then now he's working with all these Jews over at Jimmy Kimmel. Right. And and he has some like he has some sense of what that transition is and what it means. Mm-hmm. But not in a way that feels sane or helpful. Mm. It just comes off as like kind of racist. Like it feels like he's so close to getting it, but he just doesn't just like there's a refusal there. Like his white brain cannot process it or something. Like Yeah. Yeah. And he he revealed um in this episode too that he just grew up in North Hollywood, so he was a San mm-hmm. Fernando Valley kid. And so I think you spend most of your time because that's a, basically a suburb. It's a very yeah, suburban yeah lifestyle there and you're basically looking you're surrounded by the backside of the hollywood hills and like well one day maybe you know you, you'll have a house up there or you'll have a house along the coast and uh that's what happened to him i mean he he yeah, lucked he does. Into, yeah, yeah yeah he lucked into that uh that kind of situation and that kind of money and he even tipped his hand with um talking about like making five grand a week writing for kimmel like yeah. he, he like gave us some some hard numbers <laughs> well he always would he yeah. re- he read his tax like you know the, like the form like maybe non-american like listeners don't know this but in america the irs sends you a form like every five to ten years mm-hmm. as like an estimate of how much you're going to get when you retire mm. and it lists how much you made every year that was taxable i remember he got it once in like 2000 2005 or something he read it on the air oh wow he's like this like this year i made 24 grand next year it was 300 grand the next year after <laughs> that it was more than a million right. and it was like just this insane kind of like this ladder mm-hmm and I think that's what made – like I think that's a little bit what made the show listenable mm. at first mm-hmm. is that he hadn't forgotten where he came from. Mm. And like – and you, I think I feel like you can feel it in this episode. There's a tension there yeah. where in a lot of ways he's trying to talk about his old experience in the same way that he always had but then not realizing that he's actually already made the transition mm. and he's not part of that world anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like he's not part of that class. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that comes across in his interactions with, like, the band, too, yeah. in terms of, like, age. Mm-hmm. Of, like, if it was, like, five years earlier, he'd be, like, closer with them in age. And it, he wouldn't come off like the rich white guy making racist jokes. <laughs> like, because all the stuff that he's trying to say is, like, 
like a lot of times it's like sort of a pro solidarity kind of move, even if it is very racist. Right. It's like we're gonna make fun of the blacks because we're both talking about Latinos, right? <laughs> and it's like right. But it just it doesn't work because he's already he's gone. Mm-hmm. He's already high upper class now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was and it, he uh, definitely underlined the uh, age difference when he was referring to L.A. bands like Oingo Boingo yeah. and X. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think like at the beginning of the show, I think it was like that's also I think a, a big deal is that how much the band members from Ozomatle were like clowning on him mm-hmm. oh, yeah. like very clearly, but he didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Like when he told them like they were big in Alabama <laughs> and maybe that's true, but I also kind of think they're fucking with him mm-hmm. and I don't think Adam knows that he's being fucked with. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's really funny. <laughs> and so there's just like this sense of like, uh, yeah, that like they kind of know that this is all like a joke and like, He's the old white man or whatever, but mm. he's not in on it. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's something I never would have noticed if I hadn't like re-listened to it now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and there was that, that one moment, I guess. So this is 2004. So they've already been doing this for almost 10 years. I think. Uh, 95, I think, was the when he got the or when he was offered the job. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 Probably. Yeah. 96 would probably be the first solid year. OK. And then, yeah, 2004 would be uh, yeah almost 10 years. But Dr. Drew had been doing it for. Like years and years before that. Ah, like, okay. Because this started as like public service community radio ah. on like only Sunday nights. Oh, wow. And then like it got – it sort of – it grew I think because of K-Rock mm-hmm. and and then uh, he got co-hosts and then Adam was finally brought in because uh, he had been doing morning show stuff with Jimmy in, in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Adam was brought in as a co-host and then the show kind of just like – it kind of boomed from there. And so Dr. Drew had already been doing the show for like over 10 years at that point. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I think. And yeah. so, but yeah, for Adam, yeah, it was almost, yeah, probably almost 10 years that he'd been doing it. Yeah. Cause there was a, there was a tension. There was a, a when they were going to commercial break, Adam kind of flipped out a little bit because Drew immediately like, threw his headphones off or did something. He's like, you gotta let me finish. You gotta not <laughs> move. So you could see already that they, their, their working relationship already had, you know, they were already doing those little things that, you know, married couples piss each other off doing. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's so much of that. Yeah. And that's one of the – I think that's why the show works mm-hmm. because they had that kind of relationship. But there's, yeah, like there's a lot of like bickering back and forth between Drew and Adam. But – and like there were a few times they would get really mad at each other. But it wasn't like – it would always end up being fine. Mm-hmm. And so like – Parts of that were healthy, parts of that are unhealthy, parts of that is because they like they share sort of strange damage and class interest. Mm. And so like it ended up working out. But yeah, I I I never get the sense that they actually that it, they didn't like each other. I, you always get the sense that they're like they fight because they are very good friends. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like almost like siblings or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm always so suspicious now because people that have had you know, good radio shows and, and long-term relationships that actually just hated each other the whole oh, time. Right, yeah. But they, on the air, they were still able to convince you. That, I feel like uh, this is the opposite. Yeah. Like, this is the opposite example of where they would bicker on the radio, but they would actually... Um, I think the I think the worst it got was there was a contract negotiation where Adam and Drew had usually bargained together on their mm-hmm. contract mm-hmm. as like a as, a, as a... as sort of a set with their... They had, I think they had different agents, but their agents would work together and sort of they would they would team up and they would both be paid the same. And 
But then there was like there was one contract negotiation, probably like two thousand two or two thousand three or something, where Doctor Drew's management had like like thrown Adam under the bus mm. to like get kind of like a sweetheart deal. Oh, wow! Because I because the like the the background to Adam going to the morning show, mm-hmm. like part of that is that Westwood One had been trying to get rid of Adam for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because. He was kind of a diva, mm-hmm. and he was expensive. Ah, and they knew that they could that Doctor Drew, like Doctor Drew, is kind of a shithead, but they knew that he was cheap, mm-hmm. and that Adam would like bargain and like hold out and be a diva, and so yes. like so there was this one time where there was a show after sort of negotiations had fallen through mm-hmm. for for Adam, but that Doctor Drew's management had already made a deal. Uh. And and he was like, hey, we had bargained together. And the reason that you're making this amount of money right now is because we had decided to bargain together in the past. And I fought for, you know, this much money, which was 20 times what you were making before. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess he was making like 15 grand a year or something on Loveline. And mm-hmm. then suddenly he was making like 200 grand a year or whatever because Adam had come in, you know, with proper representation. Yeah. William and, Morris. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and said, like, this show exists because of me. And it's syndicated because of me. And so you should pay me. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, that was good. Um, but then there was a time where Dr. Drew didn't quite understand all the business stuff and then let his management throw Adam under the bus. Wow. And uh, and then Westwood One was very happy to do that mm-hmm. <laughs> because Westwood One wanted someone much cheaper than Adam. Mm-hmm. And that's where like the whole striker thing comes in. Ah. It was like they were always trying to recruit other DJs from K-Rock that mm-hmm. would come in for half the price. Right. Because, like, they were making bank on the show, like, selling it to different markets across the country. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if they didn't have to pay Adam Carolla what they were paying him, you know, if they could pay him half, they would be much happier. Mm. And so they, that was their that was their deal. And so in, like, the last probably three years of the show, there was that tension there yeah. between, like, Adam and management and then a little bit Dr. Drew. Mm-hmm. But then once, once Adam left to do the morning show, all that stuff kind of got patched over because – Adam and Dr. Drew were no longer in a business relationship. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I don't know, having an amicable split with your ex or something and then suddenly you're friends with them. Right, right. It's like suddenly your interests are no longer intertwined mm-hmm. and you can be a lot nicer to each other. Right. <laughs> Number one, Asian big book queen. Yeah, one of the things that surprised me about this episode was mm-hmm. like, we, we talked about that Loveline was part of kind of a cultural zeitgeist Mm. and like bands and stuff would go on the show and they talk about music and it's like oh yeah this show used to be on like a rock station yeah right like i think about it now i don't remember that like i remember about like mental health issues and (laughs) like you know calls about stds i don't think about you know like music stuff but yeah it was interesting to hear like oh yeah that's right they they used to do that stuff Mm. and i was surprised about the age of the callers too i forgot how young yeah they get get young and they also get older too like yeah yeah, right (laughs) Like some people in their in their like thirties and stuff, and well, like I mean, <laughs> I'm in my thirties now. Like I'm not trying. I'm not trying to say that that's old. Right, right. I'm just saying like I feel like the majority of listeners to Loveline were not in their thirties, mm-hmm. and so as, from my perspective, as somebody in my thirties now, mm. I'm saying like it's strange to me that the sort of that people that age would be calling about those things because mm. I feel much more mature myself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like I need as much advice from Adam Kroll and Dr. <laughs> Drew in my 30s, you right. know? 
Uh, I feel like I'm good. Great. And so the the fact that there were callers that yeah like like desperately needed advice into their thirties is like wow. Like, mm. Okay. Well, there was something a little bit more, and this was not that long ago. This is 2004, but they seemed kind of innocent. And some of the things they talked about, like you know, my boyfriend, I'm always attracted to these really druggy guys. Like he smokes marijuana, and like a, a pot smoking kid yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in L.A. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, Adam kind of called it out. Like, man, he's mayor of Bakersfield, you know? Like, <laughs> well, Bakersfield, yeah. he, he he smokes weed and he he drinks a little bit and he only does a rail every once in a while and he doesn't even make the meth, you right. know? Yeah, so that that was very surprising to me that how and maybe it's just because the you know the generation that grew up with you know access to you know heavy access always on internet has seen a lot of things and so their their innocence is gone and some people are still saying you know my girlfriend wants me to choke her is that okay yeah i feel like generally there's a lot more information on the internet like as you said like everybody's on the internet now it's Mm -hmm. like back then that was like oh my god this is insane but the thing that really bumped me about that call was the idea that somebody would be in a relationship with anybody who's not american (laughs) you know (laughs) It's like maybe this is our perspective because we, because we live in Japan right. and we have married not American people. Mm-hmm. But like there was this thing that was like it's not so subtle. Uh, like you probably noticed it too of like where they were they were asking, yeah, uh, hey, where's she from? Oh, I probably got her out of a catalog. And then he says Sweden. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it stops. Yes, yes. Suddenly it's <laughs> like, oh, she's white. Right, right. And then he starts in on the, the stuff about – how the guy is a, like an apartment manager. Yes. <laughs> and, and he sets in on the guy and it's like, oh, okay, that's how, yeah, that's right. This <laughs> makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. that you would say this. And then, yeah, Dr. Drew's like, oh yeah, you're going to cut off her carotid artery or whatever, like blah, 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 you know, like decent advice, like yeah. pretty good advice, but also just like, it's a weird way to talk about it because like it's an issue that comes up of my partner wants me to do something dangerous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the first thing they go in on is, is she non-white? Yeah, right. <laughs> she not, she not, she not have a green card? Like, Yeah, that's true. And like they spend a lot – they spend like half the call on that and they spend half the call on the fact that he's an apartment manager and they spend like a tiny bit yes. of the call on the idea that maybe you shouldn't do this if you're not comfortable with it. Right. Yeah, I was surprised how many calls, like Adam just went into a bit and then like Drew tags it with some advice at the end. And, you know, that was kind of the the dynamic. And I, I also forgot like how call-in shows work because they've kind of evolved and the people are doing them on, you know, podcasts mm-hmm. and the internet now. You know, they, they basically, someone asks a question, they click them off and yeah. then they just rag on them. And yeah. then they, and so is that person, is the caller hearing that? Yes. That? Yeah, yeah, so they are. Okay. So I have called into Loveline. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I did not make it on the air, mm-hmm. but yes, you hear them. Wow. Are you going to reveal your question in a, in a later episode? No. Was, I mean, I'll reveal it now. It was, it was about trans stuff. Oh, yeah. And I almost didn't get on the air because the screener was like, I can't just ask like, hey, I'm trans. What should I do? Like, you uh, got you can't just have a powwow on the air. Oh. Uh, and what they said, I know that that, you know, you know, the term powwow in that context would be inappropriate <laughs> and racist. And I, I would like to say that I am not using it. Right. But that, that's what I was told by yes. the Loveline call screener <laughs> in 2005. Mm, mm. Um, but... Yeah, and they don't – they have some appreciation for that but not a lot of appreciation for it. Like mm. they, they sort of punch people up and then they're not ready and they're like, oh, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. Like yeah. they're not ready and then they put them back on hold and then they're like – they talk to them for a while. They put them back on hold mm. and then it's like they randomly bring them up and then yeah, they rag on them. But yeah, you hear them the whole time. <laughs> like you you hear the show without the delay, which is why they tell you to turn off your radio. Right. It's because if you use your radio, you're going to come into the call late whereas the feed on the phone – is is live right 
So, so yeah, like they, they, they hear them. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was wondering with what they said about some of the callers, I'm like, wow, are they hearing that? And they're going to actually punch back into that person. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And they do. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And the, um, the kind of suspicion, like the beginning of every call. I love that kind of, all right. And I didn't know the, the Mason jar, the, uh, the code phrase that let them, you know, kind of bail out of a call. Yeah. But yeah, they, they start very carefully and they're like, all right, what do you think? Did they give us enough like legit sounding, you know, information or circumstance that we're actually going to go with this or yeah, are we just going to bail? Yeah. This is a bad show for calls. Mm. Like, and there's a few different flavors of Loveline show. My favorite kind of Loveline show is the one where there's no guest. It's just Adam and Drew. Oh, yeah. And they take a lot of calls. Mm-hmm. And that's usually very good. And then this is this was the style, and I didn't expect it, because, like, you expect this style of Loveline show from a big guest, mm-hmm. like a huge guest, mm-hmm. where they just, like, it dominates the show. They only take, like, two or three calls the entire show, because it's like, oh, we've got, you know, some huge celebrity in here, and right. and you're going to talk to them, and, like, some WB show or something. Yeah. <laughs> right? Also, Motley, I don't want to throw stones at them because I'm sure that they're still touring probably oh, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like, are, I'm sure yeah. that they're doing a great job. But they were not like a nationally known mm-hmm. name. Mm-hmm. But then this episode had like almost no calls. Yeah, yeah. It was like four calls the entire show. Right. And that's not something that usually happens with sort of lesser known guests. Mm. And it happened because of racism. <laughs> Right, right. Because, like, Adam just couldn't fucking shut up about stuff about, like, cactus and yeah, working yeah. with the Latin man or whatever. <laughs> right. Like, the he Latin just got Latin. extremely distracted by the whole idea of having anybody non-white in the studio. Yeah, he really was. And, yeah, and they, they felt that, I think, right away. Yeah, I think the band was, like, yeah, onto that. Yeah, oh, this was the quote, his brown-skinned brothers that yeah, he yeah, worked yeah. with in construction. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and also Adam uh, declares himself an honorary Jew because even though he's Italian, you know, like he, he writes for TV. So yeah, yeah. He, he's honorary. Yeah, he's an honorary. I feel like him being an honorary Jew is like one of the least problematic things about him <laughs> because I think I think his grandfather was Jewish. Ah, OK. So I think he actually like I think he does have some slightly more legitimate claim to being Jewish. Mm-hmm. Like he he was never raised culturally Jewish. But I I feel like to a certain extent, it's less problematic than a lot of the other stuff that he says. Mm -hmm. And that he and that, you know, it's clear even in this case that he doesn't talk about Jews the same way that he talks about, you know, black people (laughs) or, you know, Latinx people or anybody else. Mm -hmm. Like he like he says, like, oh, they complain a lot. But then also he says, like, oh, well, it's they complain a lot at the writer's room at Jimmy Kimmel where they (laughs) make five grand a week. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, and I loved his uh, his advice on one of the calls, the uh, uh, strip club etiquette. Yeah. And the, the do's and the don'ts. Yeah. That's definitely from an earlier time in his life where he would. Uh, oh, that's a classic bit. So that's not uh, even the best version of that bit. Oh, yeah. It's a kind of genre of call on Loveline mm-hmm. of I'm going to a strip club and I need sort of advice. <laughs> and the thing that I noticed about that call as a as a heavy like Loveline head was that it was like Adam had done this insane racist rant for like 20 minutes. They wanted to go to a call real quick before a break. <laughs> and then Drew punches up this girl and and he's like, uh, she was molested, Drew. <laughs> we can't talk to her. Right. <laughs> She's got real problems. We need to go to somebody else. Let's punch <laughs> up this, this, this asshole who's 17 is going to go to a strip club. And we got to talk to him. Yeah. That, and, that, that was really funny. I noticed that too. <laughs> 
And they, they did go back to her, thankfully. But uh, yeah, that was really yeah, that was funny. So whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> right away, we're not. But they went back to her like an hour later. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I don't even know if she was the same girl. Like she, you're probably right that they did go actually go back mm-hmm. to her. But like they went to her, and then it was just like, no, 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 bail, bail, bail. Mm-hmm. Pull the ripcord. We can't have this. <laughs> you know how if you watch whose line is it anyway? They say like the you know the points don't matter. Or whatever, it's like on Love Line, the calls don't matter. Yeah, right. right. Like there's a there's a gestalt to the show, mm-hmm. and uh, Adam has in his head stuff he wants to talk about, and the calls are just sort of like in the periphery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And and when you think about like if their guests are the you know Red Hot Chili Peppers, and, yeah. and a, a girl calls in and says, "My boyfriend wants to have oral sex." I mean, compared to <laughs> the life experience of that band, I don't think uh, yeah, the, there's there's not going to be much. Uh, as far as advice <laughs> for uh, for that caller, that that's that, those kinds of things were always very humorous. Yeah, that was I think that was a very tame call mm-hmm. for Love Line of that era, right? Because I feel like yeah, early Love Line would have calls like that, but I think especially in this era, like yeah, that was kind of a strange call, mm. um, and and yeah, it was it was kind of met with derision mm. by Adam of like oh yeah, like sign me up, like I'd be your perfect boyfriend, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you need six months? How about how about we hey, take a year? You know, just let's be safe, you know? <laughs> like, you don't need somebody to go down on you? Hey, no no problem, girl. Like, <laughs> right, no right, money right. down, whatever, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it really stuck out the uh, the other call about the girl that froze up with her ex oh, yeah. that had experienced sexual abuse. Our, like, more contemporary view of consent uh, is really funny in, in – yes. uh, listening to like how Adam presented things and saying things like, you know, when the prey stops struggling. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I actually, I made a note about that mm-hmm. of, like, I wrote it down as it's not rape because they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was from Dr. Drew. Yes. Even. Yes. Like, and this, the idea, yeah, like very, I'm not even going to say very different ideas about consent mm-hmm. because it's sort of the thing of people saying like, oh, they didn't know better or whatever. Mm. And or they didn't know, like people didn't know better at the time. It's like, yes, people did know better at the time and they tried to tell Adam and Dr. Drew <laughs> and they didn't listen. Right. And it was a dominant sort of cultural viewpoint at the mm-hmm. time of like, yeah, like men are the aggressors and women are the like the prey in that scenario, like right. you said, yeah, and like just it's a weird, very weird stuff of like, oh, we couldn't possibly change the behavior of the men, right? Yeah, that that really stuck out to me. Yeah, just the way they treated that, and yeah, like yeah, guys are going to be guys. There's nothing you can do, and because the the woman was the caller, they were you know saying, well, you're going to have to learn these yeah. are situations you have to avoid. Guys are just and, like this. <laughs> right? Yeah, this is what you're going to have to expect. So. It's like it's yeah, very shocking that I didn't want to be a man. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Like, right. <laughs> When that was sort of the the cultural kind of thing that I was being asked to sign off on, mm-hmm. like even if you were like a, a cisgender man at that point, it's like probably have some problems with that if you have a conscience. Oh, yeah. Like have empathy for people. It's like you don't want to feel that you have some prey that stops struggling. Yeah, right. You right. know, like. No, I remember that very distinctly, like friends in, in university just talking about like, you know, high school experiences and then saying, yeah, I didn't want to come across rapey. I didn't want to feel like I was all all pressure and like, you know, she had no choice. And that's a really dominant thing that I think guys my age were dealing with and we weren't getting any good. Yeah, there's yeah, still good advice. advice. Yeah. I think it goes back to like rape culture mm-hmm. of like, you know, to a certain extent, a lot of sex was not explicitly rape in the way that the culture accepted rape. 
but that it was sort of rape themed and rapey and mm-hmm. like and that was just kind of an accepted idea of what sex was mm, right like you have an aggressor and like you, I, in like we live in japan i think you still see that a lot in japanese pornography yes yes like in american pornography you see it a bit less like american pornography is like very objectifying mm-hmm. and in a lot of different ways but in japanese pornography still you have a lot of like one person is the aggressor and then one person is sort of the submissive partner and even in like japanese lesbian porn is that way right right and so like i i feel like yeah especially yeah 2004 was definitely still a point in american society where the dominant sort of yeah cultural idea of sex was you have a man with a penis as the aggressor because he has the weapon, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then you have a woman who has the receptacle or whatever and she's being acted upon. And yeah. And yeah, they're like that comes across in how they choose to answer questions about that kind of thing. Definitely. Yeah. And the kind of heartbreaking thing about that call is, you know, so Drew identifies her freeze response f- from being a victim of sexual mm-hmm. abuse. And the caller just says, Oh, I just thought, you know, that's what happened to me when I knew I was doing something wrong that I shouldn't be doing and, you know, just acted like I, I had gone unconscious to yeah. get through it. Yeah. Hearing hearing that kind of humanity and that kind of suffering and, and Drew actually, you know, identifying it and then that whole thing just continuing about, yeah, but you gotta, you know, you gotta expect that kind of stuff. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way a lot about their a lot of their sort of repeated calls for callers to like get therapy and stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because i remember being a teenager and i remember living in the united states and i i I know what it's like for me now in japan and the idea of just like going getting therapy it's like there was literally one time in my life where it was easy to get therapy it was when i was on campus as a university student right Mm -hmm. and that's like the only time i was ever able to get consistent good therapy for Mm -hmm. anything Mm -hmm. and but it feels like the kind of like bail out of calls a lot by like mm. oh just go to the doctor mm-hmm. just go get therapy <laughs> right just it's it's like one size fits all <laughs> yeah right. and it's like you can say that and it, it is good advice mm-hmm. like especially at a time when people may there might be stigmas that we talked about before like against mental health issues but like those things are not universally available mm-hmm. they are expensive mm. and you know they require parental consent in a lot of cases yeah. just because even if they don't explicitly really explicitly require parental consent somebody's got to pay for it yes, yes you don't have universal health care right. so like the like the caller that she called and she was like, oh, I want my boyfriend and I to go get an STD STD test, and but he won't go. And they're just like, oh, just go get it by yourself. And it's like, okay, well, what if she didn't have the money for it? Yeah, yeah no, that's true. Like it's very easy to say like, oh, just go get tested, just do this, just do that, just go to the doctor, just go get therapy. It's like I realize now kind of like at the time I accepted that kind of advice of like, oh, people should just go do that. <laughs> right. But it, it was because I was a – a teenager and it wasn't because i had access to those things but i just imagined that people did have access to those things mm, mm-hmm. because it felt like they should mm. and it turns out they didn't yeah and it, no and people still don't yeah no that's true yeah something that uh that came up they were talking so i guess this is the bush re-election yeah, yeah. 2004 yeah right so uh the funny thing is they they reference the uh the people saying if bush is re-elected i'm leaving the country and that, uh, yeah yeah that reminded me so much of the uh the the trump election like you know when it was uh down to it there were so many celebrities who were saying I- i'm out of this country if if trump is elected so that's just a, a perennial thing <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it is it def- is definitely a perennial thing but then also the thing that I would like to point out mm. is this is really the thing that sort of lays bare the fact that they're both Republicans mm. mm-hmm. of like oh I don't really like Bush and I don't really like Kerry but they're both the same you know yeah, right. right right and and I'm not gonna like go to bat for John Kerry because he I'm, he's a shitty liberal too <laughs> 
but I'm also not going to sign on to the idea that like they're both the same. Mm-hmm. Like there's cuz there's a lot of that going around at that time and like the South Park kind of like, oh, both sides are the same, you know, whatever, which yeah. had started like during the like the Al Gore, mm-hmm. like George W. Bush election. And so like this is, I think, part of the thing that like reveals their Republican leanings of like they see a kind of like a Republican and then sort of a liberal Democrat as being very similar. Mm-hmm. And for them, of course, it's no no different. But then to like to people that they're talking to, like the band or other people, oh, yeah. it's like, no, it's it's different. And we have feelings about it. Yes, yes. And then Dr. Drew's response to like the Linda Ronstadt thing that he brings up uh-huh. of like, oh, yeah, she was talking about some Michael Moore thing and like, what a crazy person having <laughs> political opinions in public. Like, whoa. Right, right. It's like, yeah, dude, people have political opinions and you're sort of looking down your nose at them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exposes the fact <laughs> that you're a conservative. Yes. And with how he was, you know involved in uh, you know, writing for TV and everything. That's that's pretty surprising that, yeah, that he kind of still came out the other end of that with, uh, and especially I think Jimmy Kimmel's pretty liberal. So that's a weird, they were always, you know, kind of a pair. So I think they're. Uh, yeah. Like, like, I think we should get into Jimmy Kimmel, like on a different episode. Oh, I, don't, sure. I don't think we have enough time for it mm-hmm. today, but Kimmel is a weird thing where like they were always personal friends, but they definitely always had different views on politics. Mm. And mm-hmm. Kimmel was always a bit nicer just generally, and Adam kind of lacked empathy mm-hmm. and just couldn't think about stuff outside of like himself and his taxes. <laughs> right. But like Kimmel is also not clean in a lot of ways. And not that we're going to get into that today, but it's just like he has his own demons, even if he is sort of talking about like universal health care. Like if I had to like put it on a spectrum, I would say that, you know, Adam Carolla is kind of, he's like, Geraldo Rivera or something of Mm -hmm. like a Fox News kind Ah, of libertarian leaning sort of conservative who likes to say he's not conservative because it's not fashionable to be conservative, kind of like a Bill Maher type. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Kimmel is more of like a like a West Wing liberal type. Mm hmm. You know, who's going to pick up the tab for it? You know, I've got a writer's room to run. Yeah. yeah. All these Jews, you know, (laughs) like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I say that as as a Jew, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) so let me let me just check back through my list here sure. and if there's if there's not a lot else we'll uh we'll bring it to a close but right. there's an early that's capitalism joke from the band oh yeah that was fun to hear because uh-huh. it's kind of a common refrain for stuff now of yeah. like hey hey it's capitalism man <laughs> mm-hmm. and then they were and then in 2004 it was like oh wow that was like in 2004 that was like biting commentary mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> that's true now it's sort of like very de rigueur, but back then it was like, oh man, wow, you're you're fighting the fight, you know, vote or die, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are uh, stories about encounters with wildlife, you know, near their their gated communities was uh, was very Los Angeles. And you should talk about that because I, I don't. I've listened to Los Angeles media for a lot of my life, mm-hmm. and I know a lot about like the area. I had family who lived in California, mm. and so I know a certain extent about it but it's always very like it's very piecemeal mm. so i don't understand like i know about a lot of different things mm. but i don't know how a lot of it is connected together yeah, I see. and yeah, so yeah. it's like oh you're going from like you know downtown los angeles to <laughs> up in the hills and i don't <laughs> right. really know what that means yeah, yeah. and so like I, I would appreciate if you could sort of 
drop some knowledge on me about sure. the wildlife and what that means to you. So you get a little bit of this if you're at the edge of the valley, but it's mostly people that live on the, you know, like Hollywood Hills or even like Malibu um, So and, yeah. and, and the canyons. So so basically you've got uh, Pacific Coast Highway and the Pacific Ocean and, you know, Malibu is, is to the north and more south and you're starting to get into uh, Laguna Beach and all those like, you know, dolphin painting art galleries and things. But well, I'm uh, just thinking about this in terms of TV shows I've seen, <laughs> right? which is like PCH is in Veronica Mars <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, um, Laguna Beach. Laguna well, Beach, yeah, it's right. an MTV show. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so there's roads that, that uh, cut through the canyons that, mm-hmm. you know, that connect basically the coast, Malibu, and uh, the uh, just all the, all the kind of beach community is there. But in between every kind of major section there's, are hillsides that n- you, you really can't build houses on. And so because Los Angeles is all about keeping the piece of desert green by, you know, overwatering it and, and just hydrating it's like, as like much Israel. As, yeah, right. <laughs> and so, of course, animals are going to come from, you know, ah. un- unlivable parts. And, and even the talking about uh, ants, why are all these ants coming into my ah. house? It's because there's water in your house. You know, there's yeah, air conditioning and water. Yeah. And so everything is kind of driven towards the residential areas. And so people, um, people still have reasonably large lot sizes, even if they're on hillsides and places. So you've got a lot of greenery and, you, and that's why the fires are dangerous because yeah, yeah. You're, you've got trees and, and uh, shrubs and bush close to your um, close to your property, close to like physical buildings. It's by kindling collection. Yeah, right. And so that's why the, 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 yeah, the different areas have fire, have crazy fire emergencies. But because you've got all that greenery that looks nice, you also get animals like right up against. And so you have, you know, coyotes stealing dogs and cats and you have, uh, you know, bobcats and things. So it's basically desert animals um but uh, you're interacting with them a lot more than you should because you're drawing them to yeah you. yeah basically yeah. it's it's the most comfortable place and of course you're creating like probably a, a mouse situation and things like your, your trash is being eaten yeah, by yeah, things yeah. that are attracting so there's but that's always a, a common a common story and they're just shocked it's just like and i saw their standing in my driveway a coyote and you know that that is a very common you know los angeles experience where people from the midwest or whatever where they you know they actually are, are dealing with that they're, they're you know yeah i mean i come from the midwest basis. you have deer run through your backyard yeah, right, all right, the time right and it's not and then i saw yeah <laughs> right i never thought about it like that i always assumed as somebody who had grown up where like you always had wildlife running you know across your property mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like oh my god it must be like it must be something special about this coyote. It must be something special about this snake. Right, like, right, yeah. Um, it becomes yeah. It's 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 this you know the star of the show. If you're encountering that, and yeah, uh, it turns out it's just like oh, they just they don't see it all the time. Mm-hmm, so right, right, yeah. So they're reacting to that. Yeah, felt I I felt that Los Angeles thing very much of uh, and and then there was a lizard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he just sat there. Yeah, yeah, but also the lizard is is an excuse to be racist. You know? <laughs> yeah, that, that totally went into that all. Yeah, and, and people told me I should leave him there because he does good for. But he wasn't doing anything. I didn't see him do anything, and so therefore he's useless. <laughs> That's a very like it's very emblematic of mm. a lot of Adam's yeah, yeah. approach to life. <laughs> <laughs> of like this black guy did a thing and so therefore he must always do the thing and he was not helpful to me and so therefore he is not helpful and so like <laughs> yes. therefore he does not deserve health care. <laughs> like you know, like right, right. there's all this stuff. It's like so all right, man, like it's just a lizard, but okay. <laughs> if you're gonna make the lizard racist, then whatever, man. Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What's my dad doing in Israel? All right, so I think mm. we're gonna draw this to a close. And then, uh, so where can people find you online? 
Wow. Um, well, I have a, uh, a single panel gag cartoon that I draw and I do, you do. weekly on a live stream. So, um, it was a good you, live stream. Oh, thank you. And if you'd like to, uh, to see that, that's, uh, usually Monday, uh, Monday evening, uh, North American time. And the website for that is abusecartoons.com. And so you can find that on YouTube and, and Twitch at abuse cartoons and Twitter also abuse cartoons. All right. And I'm John. And on Twitter, I'm at Cishet K. Faber. Uh, you can follow me and hopefully you will be listening to this podcast and have more episodes of this podcast in the future. And thank you very much for listening. And thank you very much to uh, Jeremy for agreeing to do this podcast with oh, me it was for an the honor. first time. I, I appreciate yeah, being on the premiere episode. I know. <laughs>